and it basically said, always go to the funeral. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. This is a reverse interview, my good friend, Audrey Rousseau of the Pittsburgh Technology Council, who was previously a guest on episode 263, came on the show again this time to talk to me about the Going Deep Summit, what I learned from the experience, and we get real about not only what it can be in the future, what it meant, but the fear, the insecurity, the questions that were very pertinent going into the event that have to some degree been resolved. But I I hope that this will be a helpful piece of content for you in whatever endeavors you are pursuing. So here is my reverse interview with Audrey Rousseau. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Yeah, the the show is yours. Okay, so I'm Audrey Russo, and I'm president and CEO of the Pittsburgh Tech Council. But more important than that is I am getting to do something that I totally love. It is talking to really interesting people who are moving the needle, moving the needle for Pittsburgh and perhaps the world. But we'll just start with Pittsburgh for sure. And there's a guy in the room, Aaron Watson, who is, uh, has been doing some really magical things over the last few months. And I've gotten to know him just a little bit because he interviewed me, but I've been tracking him. And he just recently did a real deep dive summit where it was full day of people talking about an array of things across really the business and education ecosystem. And I was pretty blown away. I was blown away for a few reasons. Here's this guy... Aaron, who we'll hear from in a minute, who has been doing some bold stuff. And he decided, you know what, I'm going to just change the way we have conversations. And he did that with probably not much experience, with a lot of passion and probably love for the work and storytelling, and for driving an outcome that he hoped would sort of coalesce the community. And I got to tell you, I think he did it. And I'm thrilled to be able to talk to him because he's always talking to everyone else. And I think that people need to know who he is and who's that guy trying to be a producer, be a creator, and trying to coalesce sort of what I I would call Pittsburgh 4.0. So on that note, here's Aaron. Audrey, thank you so much for that intro. That was was really nice. I appreciate it. It's, It's real. I didn't have to make it up. I've been watching you ever since you've been inter- that you interviewed me, and I said I really want to pay attention to this guy. And I always get totally juiced when I'm around people who are thinking big, not afraid, and, I, and I'm sure you had, you know, some fears, but not afraid to put both feet out there and and do what you're doing. I mean, you're interviewing people, you've got a creative bend to you, you're trying to cast a wide net. So am I am I capturing that correctly? Yeah, I mean, I think that fear is something that's really important to be acknowledged in any endeavor. So one story that I've I've maybe told a couple of times, but it's not, it just begs repeating. I sat on eight episodes of my show for more than a month before I released it because I was afraid. And that was well warranted because those were probably eight of the worst interviews I've ever conducted, eight of the worst 
audio editing jobs I've ever done, but that's because I was just starting off. And in the same way, I mean, if I'm honest, I was probably entertaining the idea of the Going Deep Summit back in June, May okay. timeframe. Sure. Um, and even before that, like in the previous year, I was going to events thinking, oh, I like this. I don't like that. What would I do differently? But there was a lot of fear associated with like, who am I to, to be at that point, 25 years old and say, I'm going to do this event and I'm going to try to like do my own take on TED and Thrival and these other events that are institutions and, right. and meaningful parts of the culture and try to inject myself into that in any way, shape or form. So I just want to make sure that there was definitely fear associated so can with we, that. Can we dive deeper on that? In Absolutely. Terms of fear? Sure, because sure, sure. I think, you know, anyone who is sort of running something, right? Something, whether they're CEO of a company or whether they're starting something, very often it's very lonely. And with that loneliness, sometimes there's a mix of apprehension of sharing what it is that you're going through on sort of an emotional level. Because, you know, and, and it's not, and very often it's not data driven, particularly if you don't have a history of doing things. So you talk about fear and you talk about sort of hoarding those eight episodes, right? Yeah. But, and you're critical, you're a critical guy. You're going to be critical of yourself no matter what. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you're saying that those episodes really, you know, were poor and the quality was poor, et cetera, et cetera. You're always going to feel that. You're always going to feel like the next iteration of your going deep summit was better than the last one. And, and, you know, that's part of the beauty of sort of being in this work of iterativeness. Yeah. But what did that feel, what was that fear really like for you? So why did you get stuck? And, and honestly, you keep saying that it's your age and you talk about an age thing. Yeah. So can you share? So so at its core, I've had a lot of good talks about this with my friend Adam Harridan who spoke at the event. Right. And what he he has similar fears around his business and his community that he interacts with. And at its core, for someone who we're both trying to do a similar thing where I want you to care about my opinion. I want you to care about, you know, someone tr is trusting me when I bring someone on the show. This is someone worth knowing. This is someone worth spending a half hour of your time to listen and hear their story from. For the Going Deep Summit, it's even greater. This is worth you buying a ticket, giving up your Saturday and showing up. And so that rejection on the superficial level is a rejection of, well, you're not worth it. That's not accurate. It, in, a, in a vacuum, it's a rejection of that claim but the way we process that as people is actually a rejection of you, your identity, who you purport to be. Mm -hmm. And so that is in every way, shape and form, something we're biologically engineered to avoid and really be troubled by because, you know, back when we were in 150 person tribes, to be ostracized from a group, to be really deeply rejected for something meant death. Mm -hmm. And so- in That's pretty primal. It's very primal. And in the modern age, we are lucky enough that that is probably not true. However, those rejections, your, your reputation, I think that, I mean, I'm just quoting people from the, the stage now, but your reputation is still everything. And not that a failure completely besmirches your, your reputation and ruins you in perpetuity, but it is something that you then have to claw your way back from. So I, I think that as much as people won't agree with this, I actually see myself as being someone who is very conservative with the swings that they take because I'm so conscientious of 
the reputation that I'm building. I think of it more as a reputation than a personal brand, just it, from but a, it, it, a language it's hard standpoint. To d- it's hard to differentiate. I love where you're going with this because it's it's very personal. So it's a combination of you being an artist and being a creator and you building something that's sustainable. Yeah. And so all of that becomes personal when you've given birth to that idea and you've collected other people to, to amass that idea. And so it is personal. It's 100% personal, and and that's even something that I was, as I was designing everything around the event, I was trying to be conscientious of how everything fit together so that to the absolute minimal, because it's me making the claim, it's me pushing it forward, it is inherently tied to the identity of Aaron Watson, but as, as to the lowest degree possible, I wanted it to be mine and much more of a co-owned experience so larry i i genuinely feel like larry felt co-ownership of it not just because he had a talk but because he pitched it to people he shared it caitlin lesk michelle flynn all these different people had a degree of co-ownership of the event and that's what makes something a cultural moment more than a individual enterprise why do you think that occurred why, did Why it do you think that occurred? Why do you think you were able to? And co-opt is, is a bad word for me in, yeah. in terms of doing you know, the right justice to the work that you're doing. How did you create that sort of, if you look at it from like a biological standpoint, how did you create that amoeba to sort of attach to other cells? So if we're taking it like at a biological level, there's the... Um, you know, basic Newton's law for every action, there's an opposite reaction. And I've put in countless thankless hours getting this thing off the ground. So that that gap that we just talked about from launching the podcast to even suggesting that there would be a Going Deep Summit was more than two years. It was more than 240 episodes. It was countless other events attended, tickets bought, coffees got, and not in the sense, like even, even, explaining it this way makes it almost seem like you're doing some sort of like levy where you're, you're balancing the weights mm-hmm. so that you can then push right, the weight in the right. other direction. It's I don't not see that it, clean. I don't see it that way. And there's plenty of people that like I thought would be there and would be supporting me and buy a ticket and they didn't show up. But then there's other people who like I had one half conversation in passing and so a perfect example, Ethan Christian from First Victory Films made this amazing nine minute review vlog of the event where he captured all the speakers and his thoughts on it. And all this. It's, it's impeccable. And I met him two weeks ago. So there's no way to quantify that. But it's it's I mean, it's really kind of about faith and trusting that if you're investing in in, in your community, in your circle, that they will support you when you need invested in and not just in a monetary sense. And that happened. That really did happen. How are you feeling today? Just a few days. I'm still, I'm still buzzing. Um, I would say like for two straight days after you could not have wiped the grin out of off my face with a fist. And it's, it's still really good. I mean, like Ethan's video just came out yesterday. So there's still that like little morsels that come out and Hannah Phillips is still, working through the photos that she took and people are commenting on the YouTube keynote. So there's still those like little dopamine hits. Um, but the, an- the other analogy that I think is apt is, y- you know um, how they talk about like a baby elephant getting tied up to a post mm-hmm. and then sure. it grows and grows and grows. And then it's this big, massive, powerful elephant, but you can still tie it up to a post because it's just been trained right. to realize. I kind of feel like 
this event and how well it went was me being the adult elephant and ripping the post out of the ground. So I now have a different perception of what is possible if I really put my mind to something, which may sound silly to some people, but like, honestly, this is no joke. I was genuinely stressed that people would show up a week before the event. Like like I I didn't think people would be there. Right. Right. And that all, and then like the speakers would be like, well, Aaron, like what, what is this? Like 12 people or something. So (laughs) to realize that not only will people show up, not only will, um, people, can I create an experience that people enjoy? But this is like mind boggling to me. People bought tickets. They spent their money to be there and their time. And they thanked me. That is. And they did it on a Saturday. And on a Saturday. Those, tying those two together, someone making the investment and thanking me. I've never experienced anything quite like that before. And that is just like, oh, that's possible. What? I'm going to go chase that for the rest of my life. Wow, that's awesome. And I can relate to that. I can I hear that and I can relate to that. It's brilliant yeah. the way that you've articulated that. I mean, you are it's funny cuz you're doing some bold things, but you are like a steady guy just from the the little amount that I've known and watched you. Steady meaning you mentioned earlier not wide swings and you know, trying to make cautious but important steps, which in many ways, I'd like people to know that about you a little bit okay. because I think that kind of reliability and that, that elicits trust. And I think it means that, wow, you can count on that guy. I and hope so. Those are, but those are basic things when people are trying new ideas and they're exploring. Very often it's human nature to try to wonder, is that something that's going to be sustainable? What am I hooking, you know, what am I hooking on to? And why is this different? And how do I know that it's going to be sort of iterative? Human nature is people question that. And I think you have been able to be like this steady, stable kind of force while you're testing some other things. And I don't know if you see that in yourself, but I can tell you that I've seen that by watching you. Well, I really appreciate that. I I definitely resonate with the principle of consistency which is very closely tied to that and the fact that it's been two episodes per week of the show almost without fail for the last two and a half years and like that is my one small way of communicating that i'm not going anywhere this is something worth caring about because um i mean to be perfectly frank that's just like a lesson that i stole from my experience in ultimate frisbee where what got me on the field what led to my personal and team successes was working harder than the people around me, spending more time at it, continuing to show up, and then more or less having faith that that pays off down the road. Because that doesn't, you don't go to the gym three days a week for three weeks and then you're like, I made it, I'm, you know, Mr. America. I sort of wish that, but (laughs) it would be nice. (laughs) But it doesn't work that way. Yeah. I know, but you have, you have that kind of ethic inside of you and you've learned that over time. Yeah. And when people very often think of entrepreneurs and which you you are that this whole thing about what is entrepreneurism and what it, what does that mean in terms of wide swings and taking experiments, I want people who are listening to know this is the journey that you've made and developed for yourself. Yeah. And it's it's not a myth. It's actual reality and then this lesson can apply to anything. I also think it's helpful to recognize that it in a in a journey 
whether you're an entrepreneur or, or trying to create anything, the view that you have from each subsequent step is really interesting. So like I kind of talked about, you know, now that I've gotten to this uh, moment of doing the event, I kind of look around now and survey and everything looks slightly different. Like I kind of understand things a little bit differently. I understand what's possible, what goes into them in a different way. And in a very genuine way, like I started the podcast, I was like, within six months, I'm going to have some massive sponsor. I'm not going to have to do anything. Like I, I had this completely diluted view of what it would take and what would be involved. Mm -hmm. And the only way to access this new view that I've done is through that consistency and continuing to show up. And that's, I mean, that view is more valuable than anything else. Right. Showing up. Yeah. Showing up is another, is another piece of our life journey that I think very often people don't understand. Absolutely. And being present. So you had to have been in many ways watching, because there's lots of moving pieces and parts to this work. So if you just look at the summit, there's, you know, it's not that easy to try to pull it off, just even in terms of logistics and all the things that are tied to that. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were somewhat disappointed when there were some people who just didn't show up, right? More so like, I'm not going to call anyone no, out. No, 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 like not calling it out. I'm just sort of talking about sort of that aspect of doing this work. Yeah, I mean, it's like like any meaningful event for someone. And this isn't, I don't even want to use this analogy, but it's like what's coming to mind, so I'm going to try it and it's not perfect. Um, I had a very good friend of mine's grandmother pass away. And my dad shared with me a blog post of this guy that we both admire. Mm -hmm. And it basically said, always go to the funeral. And it's not because the guy whose his, his mother had passed away and he had friends come in. It's like, it's not because I re in any way genuinely resent the people who didn't come, but the people who did come proved something by being there. They mm -hmm. proved that relationship, mm -hmm. the significance of that other person, because that is one of the times where you need someone else the most and who shows up for you and who doesn't. And I don't want to make, I don't want to pretend for a second, like being at my summit is like being at no, my parents' an funeral. No, but it's an analogy. But it's though. a significant right. moment in my life at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a, a number of people who really didn't just show up. Mm -hmm. They went above and beyond to get four other people there and to share it and to make sure that everyone who wasn't there felt guilty and is coming to the next one. And that is, um, that is more of like when the person who didn't show up has to, everything you're processing in life is relative. So like this table is closer to me relative to you. Um, on a grander scale, everyone who didn't really show up or take notice or make the effort relative to the people who went out of their way, it just inherently happens. And that's always a, a decision you're kind of making. Mm -hmm. And just so that you listeners know, I watched it. Yeah, <laughs> of course. You, well, you, you had suffered an injury. A I, so. There was no way I was going to be able to sit for that long and be comfortable without being disruptive. Yeah. And so I, I was so appreciative that I was able to, to listen to it all. Yeah. And we're going to make sure that you're there at the, uh, the next one as well. No, totally. Absolutely. And so well, let's think about the summit and think about some themes. Because you gave, you gave people pretty much, as you said in the beginning, you gave them very loose parameters. And, you know, X amount of minutes, you know, generally here's some stuff. To, you know, be self-disclosing, you know, talk about some things that matter to them and what they've made an impact on. I think that's generally sort of like the parameters. Yeah. And so you were not shaping their content 
in any way. But what themes came out of that day? Do you think there were any patterns or any kind of big takeaways? So in terms of a unifying theme, that is a little bit hard for me to nail down Mm -hmm. outside of the notion that there's a countless, literally infinite number of avenues to finding success and finding meaning in your work. So as much as Leila Zarondo is entrepreneurial and Dan Bull is entrepreneurial and they're doing something for social good, it's drastically different in a lot of ways. Leia's building an app. Dan has an incubator. Right. Leia is a nonprofit. Dan is for profit. Right. And and you can go on and on down the line. And then you take it another step out. And Nick and Michelle are these amazing teachers. Right. But Adam Harridan is also a teacher. Right. But it's just in a completely different form. They do it on different days of the week at different places for different prices. Right. And they both bring out a ton of meaning from their work. And that meaning has attached to it lessons that everyone can pull away. So even if you're not trying to teach civil discourse in a classroom, you can still listen to the way, you can listen to how much thought Nick and Michelle put into every one of their classes, how much thought they think they put into designing the best experiences for their students, and whether you're trying to delight a customer, whether you're trying to build a team of employees who want to stick by you and work with you, whether you are in a negotiation setting, those are things that you can take away. And even someone like Zach, where I would say Zach's talk was the most oriented towards younger people. Here's what to do if you want to be successful. Right. There was some principles for people who were higher up the totem pole. Even in that instance, I have things that, you know, sometime down the road, whether it's my kid or uh, someone I'm mentoring or what, what, whatever it may be, I'm going to use some of the principles and frameworks that he already gave me to teach someone else. And so all of those to me are, are, are tied to the diversity of paths that can be deeply meaningful for people. So you want to hear what I thought? Sure, absolutely. I know this interview is all about listening to you. No, want, it's not. Want to it's hear a conversation. Gonna, it's, no, it's totally a conversation, but I'm thrilled to be able to dive into you. Yeah. So I didn't mean that in any other way but that. I am continually both in awe and shock that we are living in an age where the rapid transformation of innovation is occurring faster than it ever has. And the need for human connection is more profound than ever before. And what I see erupting is this high-touch human environment that is sans technology, that is eradicates all that underpinning of what we're sitting and looking at each and every day. And for me, the pattern is we need more human connection. And we need that And the more and more the automation occurs and the more and more we solve these sort of problems that seem repetitive and annoying, it is proportionately equivalent of our need for real authentic dialogue and connection. Absolutely. And now while you may think, oh, well, yeah, I sort of get that. I've seen it. But I live in a world where it's all about constant rapid innovation transformation 
eradication, automation, et cetera, et cetera. And the conversations around the human connection outside of technology tends to fall to the wayside. And so I was sort of thrilled at the, again, I don't want to use primal, but the, the emotive piece of what everyone's looking for. Whether it's Larry talking about always be connecting the dots, what does that mean to connect the dots? What does a meaningful you know, um, connection really look like? You know, what is not working versus networking? And you know, all those, those things that I, I feel like what you've unveiled, it's not negotiable anymore. It's not negotiable for us not to have those kinds of conversations and dialogues and peel, and peel the onion back to understand what does, what does it mean to have a meaningful life. And for that, I applaud you. It's different than just a TED Talk, you know what I'm saying, in a TED Talk where it's not necessarily your community. Mm-hmm. This is really your community. And I know that TED has done, you know, done you know, TED PGH and TED CMU and all those things, but this is a brand without that that erupts from a community. So I felt this huge sense of pride of you know those two teachers who were teaching middle school and them sharing even their own interpersonal flaws that they had with each other yeah. until they landed in a place where they could work together. Yeah. So react to that. Do you think I'm just like a curmudgeon? No, I, I think that that's almost a... To me, that's one of the things where like I'm the fish in water and I can't even realize I'm in water because with the Connection You Facebook group and just my natural orientation, I can't help but create that for myself. Like I have to keep bringing people in and, oh, like tell me about them and what, how can I help you? And that's just the way my mind works so habitually that I don't have to, I don't necessarily take as much time to appreciate that as I probably should. I, I think that the community aspect is the biggest part of it. Like what what was really cool was whether it was like people asking questions at least 60% of the time, I was like, Max, oh yeah, give, give, ask a question. Like I knew exactly who that was coming in and it felt hopefully more like a big family or a big tribe than like, hi, I'm Ron and I need to tell you everything about myself before I ask my oh, question right, right, to right. establish who I am and all this other stuff. Like that's... We didn't really run into that too much, but that's like one of the things that I, when I go to other conferences, I don't like where people make the question about them and their story. Like you're, you're choosing to interject into this piece of programming that we're all consuming. When you stand up to ask a question at a conference or an event or what have you. I see that in my world. Inject value. Think about the value to the speaker and think about the value to everyone else in attendance and not just to you. And that's something I'm going to continue to work on messaging because there's there's really kind of cool ways that people do that. Some very abrasive and some not uh, to like filter that. Right. I see that in my work. And I think you might be, you might be the goldfish in a big fishbowl right now. And I'm, I'm not looking at that, right? I'm not in that fishbowl. But you know, you brought me into it just by the work that you're doing and making me think about these things and us having this conversation and others. But I can tell you outside of your water yeah. and your you know, piece of the ocean, there's this whole other world that is moving so rapidly and there is so much need for this kind of conversation that becomes local and that becomes a piece embedded in a piece of the fabric that I think here in Pittsburgh, you have an opportunity to really carve that and make that a strong piece of our tapestry. 
I hope so. I also think about it sometimes in the sense that I, I, I'm, this is like another quote I'm going to butcher, but you can't motivate someone. You can only show them the way like they, you, you draw your motivation from inside yourself. Like I can't just scream in your face to you can't? make something happen <laughs> and it might work on like a very short term, but that's not something that can long-term motivate so you. So maybe you can teach me some of that because <laughs> I still do that. And so as much as possible through the work of the connection you or even like at, at its base level i know people like so you're still doing the podcast like what how does that work like i mean that's every holiday when i'm with family <laughs> they're like so what are you doing like right, they, they can't right. they wrap don't. their mind around it right. but that very existence outside of like the standard definitions and the standard well-worn past that people are used to hopefully is its own revolutionary force that gets other people thinking about that. So why did that, that anecdote I said at the beginning, why did people thank me for letting them come and inviting them and pay me? Like that could be. That's called work. That's called you. You've created a new avenue for a business that is tied to meeting meaning and impact. Hopefully. Well, you're going to be Aaron Watson, who's going to be a little bit self-critical. Yeah. But I can tell you in my years of working with people, and that's mostly what I've done, even if it's in tech, is working with people, is the establishment of the ground. So, And the ground's always uneven, but the establishment of the ground and continuing to fortify that with relentless absolve is what builds greatness. And whether that builds greatness to a company and, or it builds greatness to a movement or it builds greatness that amazing things occur through that journey. And you've got sort of the underpinnings of what will make something great. You do. I've watched you. Well, that's very humbling to hear. I, I appreciate you for saying that. No, that, that's fine. So what else do you want people to know? Like what, so what do you think the next month will be like for you? Like, let's just cut into short snippets. You know, what do you think the next couple of months, what do you have that you think that you're going to synthesize as a result of this and then, then maybe try or do different or expand? With the event in the future? Is Whether it's saying? the event or what Aaron Watson works on day to day. So in terms of the event in the future... The game plan is to continue to orient myself around a few non-negotiables. Putting talented people on stage or in positions to succeed and then giving them as much trust as I possibly can. So whether that's the speakers or like, you know, Caitlin and Michelle are creating all this content around the event. And I was like, you can go backstage, you can go wherever you want. Like, don't make a lot of noise while people are speaking. But like outside of that, you are completely good to do whatever you want to do. And that brought more out of them and that brought more passion out of them. That's non-negotiable. The other thing that's non-negotiable is a diversity of, in every way, shape, and form. So diversity of thought, diversity of background, uh, gender, every single orientation for speakers, for the audience. Um, one of my one of like my observations was the audience definitely skewed white it skewed slightly male but not as bad as i was afraid of there were a lot of women it seemed like when you panned the audience there were a lot of women there were a lot of women there um but definitely have like some initial relationships in place that i can continue to inject 
a greater diversity, not only of like where people are from. So we're going to have people coming from outside of Pittsburgh. We're going to have people from all sorts of different backgrounds there. So we're going to have buses that we can like go to like the folks in Johnstown. We could probably get a bus and yeah. have them come here as they're starting to reinvent themselves. Yeah. The Johnstown folks, I already was talking with Kataki um, up at the E E center in Linden point. In Linden point. Um, and, and hopefully just continuing to bring people in. And then uh, another thing related to like accessibility and diversity is working with the flexible uh, folks to provide childcare so that what moms, about pet and care? moms and dads. What about pet care? I love that. I, w- we almost brought Chili. Have you, th- did I show you Chili last uh-huh. time? Um, well, we, you know, I, I'm a dog maniac. All about it. Uh, we almost did, but there was, just figured there was like too much craziness to, to make that happen. But I, I love that idea. And that's a great way when people need to recharge like mid-afternoon, like go pet the dogs or go right. spend some time with them. So going to definitely get creative in terms of space and making it, you know, bring people in. And then the other, the other part of what I'm trying to do is the chord that I've struck from podcasting, other social posting, the Facebook group, what I'm starting to do with YouTube is a way to think about branding that is different than what has traditionally been taught or more, more likely executed upon. And it comes back to where we started at the beginning of this conversation, which is fear. So there's a common instinct that people have to not talk about the shortcomings, not talk about the flaws, not to show the kind of dirty underbelly, to sweep that under the rug when visitors come. And what I want to do with other brands and companies is build ways, whether it's through podcasting, through video content or other arenas to help them build their brand, build their influence through that kind of transparent, creative storytelling. Yeah, authenticity. So that's the that's the game plan. That's something we're cooking up here this month. Well, you know, what what a treat to you know people think about Silicon Valley and everyone says, oh, if you're in the valley, you can make mistakes all the time and people are forgiving, right? And it's always intrigued me. Right, you know the forgiveness piece. Fall, you know, fail fast, pick yourself up. Fail fast, pick yourself up. People still will invest in you, and in in cultures outside of the valley, that's not so, that's typically not so. Yeah. And then you come to a place where we are in Pittsburgh. Where we're fighting. We've been fighting for our lives for thirty years before you were born. I mean, I wasn't living here, but before you were born, we've yeah. been fighting for our lives. And we have incredible opportunities that are surrounding ourselves, but we still have a disenfranchised community that is still fighting for their lives. And we all talk about ways of how we want to help. And all of us are doing our own helpfulness in many different ways, whether we think we're effective or not, and whether we're measured on that. And, you know, that's a whole other, you know, podcast. But we are, we are, we always have had, I have said this, that because of Pittsburgh and because we were the canary in the coal mine for the, the decimation of manufacturing, we always ha- we have the opportunity here to do some great things with people who, quote unquote, have not been included in the new economy. And I think that you have an opportunity to hold some conversations around that with people whose voices have not been heard. And that through that, because of your steadfastness and because of your commitment to, to compa- sort of consistent performance, that there might be some really exciting 
outcomes that come from that. Because the people that, even for me, while I was lying in my bed watching, you know, all day, there were people in there who I didn't know, or if I knew, I never heard that side of their story. And it, and it tugged at my head and my heart. And so I thank you for that. Who were some of the ones that came out of left the field for you? The ones that came out of left field were the, the, um, the gentleman who was in prison, right? Dan Bull. And, um, and, and Damon. And, yeah. And, you know, this, this podcast isn't about me, but I did work in a, in a prison once for six months. So it, was ve- it took me like flashback to this yeah. time of where I felt that I couldn't have any influence. Um, and the teachers... The, the two teachers really resonated with me. And I thought, what I would have been a different person had I had teachers like that. Yeah. You know, and then to see the transparency of their dance. And I thought, there are so many people that I would love to connect them with or I would love to push to them because what, they, what they're doing is pretty bold. And they were so transparent. You know, and there were others, but it just sort of just always opens my eyes. I'm a person who's always trying to look for making sure that I'm not in that fishbowl and not seeing the world. So it's invigorating. Yeah. And the really interesting thing with Dan's model is, so I tend to believe that at their core, people are good. Some people like would even dispute that, but I I don't want to go down that rabbit hole the way. But let's say you are someone who either doesn't buy into that or you want to just apply that to certain people who are not as driven by purpose or meaning they're more driven by the money and the bottom line, this other thing. The beautiful thing about a model or rank or rank or fame or power. Right. The beautiful thing about a model like his is that it still can meet you if that's where you are. Mm -hmm. So the, Afford, like in the sociopathic way, the affordability of this ex-con or the the loyalty that we'll have with them. Ooh, like, uh, you I know, know right, that right. still works. And even if we backed you into it, you ended up at a place where you want to give that person a second chance. You want to see what they're worth because maybe you're just, maybe it's just because you want to see what's in it for you. Mm-hmm. But even so, that is what is particularly exciting for me that we can continue to create those type of opportunities where it's like, well, you know, I, I never really thought I wanted to create civil discourse in a classroom or be better at, you know, understanding why someone who looks different than me and, right. and comes from a different background as me would think differently, but I can't help but absorb that now. So right. we'll see. Right. So I think we're running out of time. We're getting close. We're getting close, right? Yeah. And so, what do you, you mentioned earlier about age? Like, oh, gee, I'm only, I'm just 25. Yeah. So you were sort of making me feel old because I sort of feel like I'm 25. So, um, for better or for worse. Yeah. What is, what does age have to do with any of this? I think it's more something I've absorbed from culture than any sort of real tangible meaning. Um, you absorb that. You're young, you're supposed to apprentice. You're young, you're supposed to pay your dues. You're young, you're supposed to wait until X, Y, or Z. And that obviously doesn't necessarily jive with my personality, but that is something that, you know, it's your choice to turn that into a strength or a weakness. So you either say, well, when I was starting with the podcast, I'm 23 
and maybe this person will like take pity on me and grant me an interview because <laughs> I'm so young and they're like think they're doing their charitable good deed or you say well I'm not qualified because I'm so young and you disqualify yourself so at any point you can qualify or disqualify yourself and there's uh that's just something that I'm like everyone else working to overcome my own mental head trash and mindset so stuff. So I'm trying to work to overcome that ageism thing on the reverse end. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're a baby boomer. And I'm a millennial. You, so know, you don't really understand. You think I need to work through a hierarchy before I get X, Y, and Z. And I say no. Yeah. But you're judging me for that. I don't mean you, Aaron. I mean sort of what the collective has occurred. So let's go even beyond the the baby boomer, the greatest generation, the, the folks who are one generation ahead of you, one of the biggest, I think we will look back and one of the biggest travesties of our modern culture is the fact that we put so many old people into retirement homes or separate communities. Because once again, getting back to the tribal thing, every previous generation, the elders were this esteemed, right? deeply honored right. What member- happened? of the community that you went to for wisdom, you went to for perspective, right. they could g- give you so much. And the, I don't necessarily buy into as much that like, well, all millennials just like disrespect. That, I don't either. But there's, cause every generation, like there's a little bit yeah. of like, where are the new kids on the block right. and we're going to prove ourselves. But I mean, that's one of the things that really gives me anxiety. Three of my grandparents were dead before I was born. Um, And, you know, my grandmother, I had a good relationship with, but she's also passed. And so I don't have, like, my my mom and my dad are the people who I come to for that, you know, earthly wisdom. I, I literally do not have a person in my life older than them who I can call on wow. for their perspective. And to me, that's like, when I l- try to self-assess, that is one of my areas where I could really go for improvement. And I don't even, the crazy part, I don't even know how to go about doing that. I don't even know like how to find the 75 year old who even, they don't have to even have been an entrepreneur, but like they just understand life right. and they, and they want to pass something along. Like right. I don't even know how to find that person. So maybe that's the next summit. Maybe there's some parameters around that for your next summit. I like that. Because I think we are on the precipice of of trying to figure out what is it, what does it mean in terms of legacy and legend and information sharing and sort of that guttural kind of wisdom yeah. that gets passed down in, in heaps and sometimes in snippets. And you might be able to open up a door. I look at you as a door opener. I like that. Mm-hmm. I do. I do. So what are your final words for this? I loved having the time to do this dive with you. So thank you for the gift of that. You had to trust me to be able to do that, and I appreciate it. You're easy to trust. Um, Aim high and ask for help. Well, you are a gift to us here. I told you before, I'm keeping my eyes on you. I meant it. And I want to be here to be helpful, whatever that means to you and to the work you're doing. So thank you, Aaron Watson, for letting me have an opportunity to spend this time with you. Thank you, Audrey. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for listening. 
hope that you have already at least marked interested on the Going Deep Summit 2.0 event on Facebook. Blind Faith tickets are available now. Early bird tickets will be rising in price by $30. So if you are really interested to see what we're going to put together for next year, please make sure to check that out. March 23rd, 2019 is the date for the Going Deep Summit 2.0. But otherwise, thank you so much for listening and get excited. We have an interview with Ned Renzi, Birchmere Ventures founder and one of the biggest venture capitalists in the city of Pittsburgh, having him on the show in the near future along with some other great episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.